Good morning, hello. Check, check, I'm on. Good morning, everyone. Time to stop being friendly. Speaker, do not adjust. Well, uh, I'd like to introduce myself for those of you that don't know me. Um, I am the Doug that, that uh, Brian prayed for. Uh, my name is Kyle Douglas. Um, so there's a couple Dougs on staff here. And I am the next-gen pastor here at Lighthouse. And I don't often get into the service because I'm back there herding cats. I mean kids. Um, but uh, most, most of the time I spend uh, back there with the little ones. And so uh, it's, it's really a treat to be able to be here and share with you this morning. Um, wanted to begin by just giving a very brief recap of our summer with uh, the student ministry and the kids ministry. So uh, usually during the summer we take kind of a break and we do things a little bit differently than we do throughout the year. So instead of meeting on Sunday nights, we meet every other week uh, on Wednesdays with the different age groups. And so that kind of gives the kids a, a feel of something different. We do things like bonfires. We had a couple of bonfires at, at my house, uh, which, uh, shout out to the Tracys. I have never seen so many sub, uh, more supplies dropped off for a group of kids ever. Um, their generosity was amazing. But uh, we had s'mores. We've done hot dogs, uh, grilled, you know, little foil packets and things. And it's just a great time to, to hang out. Um, we played paintball right at the beginning of the summer, and that was a good time. Um, I got obliterated multiple times. Um, my apologies to Logan, who I uh, was on my team, and I ran into a bunker, and I was surprised by someone staring at me, and I just unloaded my gun into him. Yeah. And he didn't even fire back. He was just, he, he just, after the barrage, he was like, dude, I'm on your team. So, uh, sorry, Logan. Um, so yeah, started started well with paintball, uh, and then you know we had our we had our meetings, and typically we try and do one fun event a month. Um, in July it was supposed to be uh, the beach day, and that got canceled because of weather, and we didn't reschedule. But um, in June we went to the UP. We reported on that a few weeks ago. Um, had a great time serving a lady up there in the UP and uh, cleaning out her house and, and helping her, and then spending some time with a pastor friend of mine. We got to um, he has a house on on the beach actually. Uh, on the Wisconsin side of the UP, and it was just awesome. So we had a good time with that. And then in August, we went to the um, oh, music festival, and Unity Music Festival uh, in Grand Haven, or uh, boy, Muskegon, I'm sorry, and uh, just had, had fun listening to worship music and hanging out for a day and getting sunburned. Um, so it's been, a, it's been a great summer. But one of the things we also do is pick a theme to study with the kids over that period of time. And this summer's theme was what we called Steadfast Stories. Anyone uh, heard of Fox's Book of Martyrs? Okay, maybe as some of you read um, the book. What about, uh, if you're a 90 kid, the brown-covered Jesus Freaks book that DC Talk put out with uh, Voice of the Martyrs? So these are two books that recount stories of pe people who were faithful to Christ in spite of persecution or hardship or difficulty. And I have found them incredibly inspiring in my life. And so I wanted to take the summer to kind of go through some of these stories 
to share with the kids, uh, to remember what some, some people who have committed to Christ have gone through in order to stay faithful to him. And part of that comes from the reality of our culture today. We have a culture that is slipping away from Christ. And I know that's hard to say because, you know, the Bible says, uh, and Jesus said, I have not lost any uh, that you have given me to the Father when he's praying. And so there's a sense that, you know, I do believe that uh, Christ has his church uh, in, within his arms, and in that sense, we are protected. But, but as a culture, and would you agree, we're losing our faith? There's a bunch of statistics. I won't bore you with the actual numbers, but, you know, people talk about um, especially the risk to our young people that by the time they're 18, if they have not made a significant commitment to Christ, the likelihood that they will survive college with their faith intact is very low. I want to say it's something like 18%. Very low. As a youth pastor, this is one of the tragedies that I deal with, is watching kids who have come through my my groups and my youth groups, and then, you know, 10 years later or so, finding out that, that they're not walking with Jesus anymore. That was one of the real bummers about Facebook, because uh, I, I started in youth ministry in the year 2000. Um, I was only 19 years old um, at the time, and that was my first uh, part-time youth ministry gig, and I had a lot of my siblings and cousins in my youth group. Um, We had a group of uh, around 20 kids at at its peak, and Facebook came out, and I was like, hey, I'll check on some of these kids that I had in my youth group, you know, 10, 12 years later, and it was heartbreaking to see what some of them were doing and saying and posting online. It's just, it's just so easy to walk away from God, unfortunately, especially in today's world. And, and Doug mentioned in his intro, right, there are so many distractions. There are so many things vying for our time and our, and our affection that it's easy to walk away. And so one way for me to describe what I'm trying to do as the next-gen pastor in our church is to create steadfast, loyal followers of Jesus Christ. Kids that, kids that make it through and become adults and, still, and are still walking with the Lord. That's the win. That's the win. So these stories are... Are incredibly inspiring and maybe in our our current culture it's a little bit hard to imagine the scenarios that these people find themselves in but I'll argue in a little bit that that we all have our enemies who are trying to trip us up and get us uh, to be disloyal to Jesus but let me, let me share this story with you and let me ask uh, for you to think about what you would do if you were in this situation You are a pastor or the wife of a pastor in Romania in the mid-1940s. The communists have taken control of your country, and they have been in power for about a year now. And you find out that the government is uh, collecting a Congress uh, to meet together at the Parliament building where they have invited over 4,000 religious leaders, so the bishops and the pastors and the priests of Romania, 
to come and share with the populace how communism and Christianity are fundamentally the same and can coexist together. And this will be uh, televised throughout the nation. Now, this communism, and especially the communism that was invading from Russia at this time, was adamantly opposed to religion. It is one of the fundamental tenets that, that religion is part of the problem with humanity. And if you're paying attention, you would know this. And so those who had their eyes open to what was happening knew that this was just a propaganda move to coerce the church under uh, the power and authority of, of the government in order to get the affection of the people and then eventually just eradicate religion throughout the land. And so they hold this Congress and priest and bishop after priest after bishop get up there and they talk about the, the benefits of communism and how, uh, you know, Jesus and, and Marx are, are similar and the same and uh, it's just hours this is going on, televised throughout the nation. But there's a pastor named Richard Wormbrand and his wife Sabina who are listening to this. And uh, as the, the writers say it, Sabina finally can't take it anymore. And she turns to her husband and she says, you need to stand up and wipe this shame from the face of Christ. Because it felt to them like these pastors were spitting on their Savior. Spitting in the face of the Savior to be loyal to a government that was so adamantly opposed. And Richard leans over to her and whispers, you do know that if I speak, you will lose your husband. And she replies back to him, I have no wish to have a coward for a husband. So Richard stands up, he takes his opportunity to speak, and he gets up there and he begins to preach. To preach Christ. And it was kind of like a lot of the people that were hearing all this nonsense and were uncomfortable with it finally found their courage. And it started with one and then it turned into multiples, but people started shouting, Amen! Amen! It was like they found their voice that this pastor was, was finally speaking out loud what we were all thinking. And the communists all of a sudden realized what was happening, and uh, one official runs up and, cut the mic, cut the mic, and they're trying to get the telecast off, you know, and things like that. Uh, and even when shutting the mic off and, and stopping the, the, the broadcast, people kept chanting and praising God, and it turned into this 4,000-person rally. <laughs> but it wasn't over for Richard. He, he did become a marked man from that point. He was arrested shortly after, put into solitary confinement for years, no light, very little food, torturous conditions. Somehow gets out. I, th I think three or four times he was arrested and imprisoned over the period of his life. And it was in one of the darkest dungeons that he said, I finally got to see my Savior. Christ was with us, and 
Boy, that's inspirational for us to just hear right now, you know, in our seat thinking about lunch an hour away. But this guy met his Savior in the deepest place of of suffering that you can imagine. Solitary confinement under the communist regime. But he stayed steadfast. Through all the doubt I'm sure that he went through, through all the difficulty, through all the the why me God or you know why would you allow this in the midst of it, he met his Savior face to face and remained faithful. Richard was one of the martyrs that did not actually give his life. Um, he just suffered and was imprisoned. Uh, and he eventually became the founder of the organization Voice of the Martyrs. And that is an organization that is still going today. There are martyrs today. Um, the, one of the statistics in the book talks about how, and that shows how old the book is at this point, but in the year 2000, there was an estimated, I think, 175,000 people who would give their life for Christ throughout the world. 175,000 people. So I hear a story like that, and I'm thinking, how do our kids become Richard's and Sabina's? How do they get there? How do I get there? How do I become a person that is so close to God that, first of all, you can, you can see, you can recognize when it's your time to speak, and then who can do so with full knowledge of what it might cost you and walk into that anyway and still glorify God with all of your life, no matter how hard it hurts. I truly think that you, that you could say that the entire Bible is about answering that question. The entire Bible is about how we cling fast to God, how, how we let go of God in the garden, and how God is working to bring us back to himself, and then how we hang on for a little bit longer until we're home. So that question I think is impossible to fully answer, but I did come across a psalm that I think helps give us a framework for how to begin answering how we become steadfast people. So this is Psalm 57, and I'll read it in its, in its entirety. It's 11 verses. Um, this is the New American Standard Bible. It might be a little bit different than yours. Um, I think they get some of the words right, and so I'm, I'm using this version. And, uh, and if you'd like, you can just listen along, uh, or you can look up uh, this scripture in your own Bible or uh, device. But again, it's Psalm, Psalm 57. This is a Psalm of David when he is running from King Saul. So King Saul is after him. Uh, he sees David as competition. Um, David is out in the wilderness just trying to survive. And this is one of the Psalms that he penned. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God Most High, to God who accomplishes all things for me. 
He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. Awake, my glory. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. I see this broken up into kind of three parts. And you can see how David would be struggling to cling to God in the midst of, of this oppression that he's feeling. And, and wouldn't you agree in your life, the times maybe when you felt most distant from God or, or maybe even to the point of giving up on him has been in times of some of the worst trials that you've been in? I know that there's a, sometimes there's an opportunity in those and it's wonderful to see people who, who draw near to God in those times, but I know that my default is probably the opposite. That when life starts going badly or I start getting uncomfortable, I want to go away from God. But David is telling us how to combat that and to draw near to God. And so that first stanza where he says, be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. He is doing the most important thing possible when we are confronted by an enemy, and that is to go to God, not away from him. I think we could say that he's remembering who God is and that he belongs to God. In this psalm, he's reminding himself of that. My soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. What a beautiful image to have the wings of God like a giant you know, bird of prey or, or mother goose spread out over her ducklings, over her chicks. No one's going to mess with my babies. And David sees himself in that. See, if we go back to Sabina's comment, I, I think this is something important to think about. And that's, she said, I don't wish to have a coward for a husband. But I would say that if you think that you will be strong enough to oppose your enemy or cling to God by your own power or your own courage or your own courageousness, you will fail. You are not strong enough. And I, and I do think that that's part of why God allows these things to happen. Because we do have a tendency to think that we are strong enough. That we can do it ourselves. That we can be loyal enough. But David rightly goes right to God as his refuge. 
I need you, God. Be gracious to me. Please protect me. I am exposed if you do not cover me. I will be weak if you do not give me your strength. Protect me until destruction passes by. And I think that that the worm brands had fostered that kind of dependency on God. They knew that the Lord was their strength. They knew going into that Congress what they were entering into. And I bet they were prayed up. I bet they were prayed up. And after filling themselves with God's Spirit and His strength and drawing near to Him, they were ready to do what they needed to do. But they knew who they served. I will cry to God Most High, the God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send word from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. And again, this goes back to foundational stuff, but David is reminding himself that God is the one who has given him life, that God is the one who has established him, promised him a kingdom at some point, that God is the one that protected him from the lion and the bear. He's going back over the the events of his life and remembering who God is and who he's been to him personally. Does anybody journal in here? I apparently I have ADD, uh, you know, whatever, and you know. But I guess if someone eventually looks at my journals at home, they'll be like, "Yeah, yeah, he did." Um, <laughs> you know, every three months there's like a spurt, you know, and then I forget about it for a year or something like that. Uh, but journaling is a great way to remind yourself of what God has done for you. Doesn't have to be long, but if something good happens and you're like, you, you know, you're convinced that God has blessed you and done something positive for you, write it down. Remember it. Because I will be like a little boy when life starts to get hard. And I will be like, God, you, ne- you don't love me. You've never done anything for me. Really? <laughs> you forgotten that, that quickly? And man, once you get going, you can go through so many, so many ways. I can of of times that God has shown up for me, and the and the good that He's provided me, and the life that I have right now. Blessing without measure. And if you start to forget that, that's kind of that's kind of the the grip loosening on God. If you can't remember what what God has done for you, but this goes certainly deeper than just what. God has done for David personally. I want to read just a quick uh, section from Deuteronomy. And you know, we spent time on the Shema uh, over the summer, which is great. And and Deuteronomy, I think, is one of my favorite books. It's Moses' huge sermon that he's giving, knowing that he's not going to go with the people into the promised land. But it's just full of emotional exhortations for the people to cling to God and not forget him. And, you know, you're going to get over there and life's going to be good and you're going to be tempted to forget, you know, who God is. This is what he says in chapter 10, uh, verse 10. Excuse me, we'll start at 12. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes which I am commanding you today for your good? Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. 
Yet on our fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them. He chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples, as it is this day. So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. He is your praise, and he is your God who has done these great and awesome things for you, which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Is God a stud or what? And Moses is just bringing to their mind here again what he has done for them as a people. And this is David's legacy too. So when David remembers God in the midst of his trial, and he remembers that he's speaking to God the Most High who accomplishes all things for me, he's going way back. That God's been good to my ancestors and God's been good to me. And so I'm going to take refuge in God. So he remembers. The second thing that he does, though, is to recognize. And this is where I I love that Scripture doesn't uh, sugarcoat things. You know, people aren't, uh, you know, saying, oh, this is really hard, but it'll be okay. Nope. My soul is among lions. Do you think Richard and Sabina felt like they were among lions? Knowing that every official was scanning the crowd, looking for people who maybe weren't Uh, fully bought in, taking notes, recording things. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. We live in a fallen world and people are broken and there is a system of evil that is constantly fighting us and we will be in opposition to that till the day we die. And maybe it won't be communists at a rostrum, but it might be consumerism. It might be lust. It might be boredom. It might be TikTok. <laughs> David is willing to recognize that, uh, that he has enemies. And he calls out to God, you know, for God to be glorified in the midst of it. But he recognizes that these enemies are preparing nets for him. And that if he's not careful, he will fall into those nets. I, I want to briefly share this. And uh, it's always a little bit risky, especially when you don't preach very often, to come up and, and share some personal things. But um, just, just very briefly, this past year has been pretty hard for me. Um, and, it, and it is a complex concoction of things, but it includes depression, uh, it includes um, some indecision about who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing, and um, if, I, if I can be so bold, there, there have been several times where it's like, I don't know if I should be here anymore. I don't know if I want to be here anymore. 
And what I have found is I, I praise God, I'm, uh, I'm coming out of it. Uh, I've found that I have let the world into my life in too many different ways. And maybe the way that I could summarize that is that I have been unintentional about following God. And in that vacuum, the world has supplied its own answers. Does that make sense? Uh, th- this is to say zero about um, church and about uh, what, what we have going on here. I am so grateful for Doug. I'm so grateful for Rick. I'm so grateful for our board. Um, I'm just trying to be honest about part of the mix of all of this. And that uh, youth pastors aren't making a ton of money these days. Okay? Amen? Amen. <laughs> now add, add to that a, uh, a wanderlust, that ADD thing apparently that you know, some doctor thinks I have, um, and just some other patterns in my life. And, and um, I'm on a cycle Three or four years, I get bored, start doing some other things. I love construction and tree cutting because I can stay busy, I can be physical in my work, and then guess what? You get, you get paid. It's kind of fun. And what happened to me kind of over the past course of this year is this tension between a calling, which I've felt all my life uh, since high school, to be in ministry, and then also like, you know what? I kind of just want to buy a tool without guilt. Add to that the fact that I'm kind of a people pleaser and people ask me for help and I don't want to say no. And so, you know, basically what I did is I buried myself while trying to hold two things in tension, ministry and then all this other career stuff. And I can hold it together in the hours or two that I'm here. Some of you might be able to relate, but then you go home and things fall apart. And I... I just, I think I can describe it as like I was losing my soul. And I'm, I'm fighting for it back, thank God. But it's, it's really hard. And it's not communism standing in front of my face, it's just the world. God gets boring, and other things seem more fun. And so I think sometimes God gives you those other things a little bit, and then you find out how empty they are. And then you have all this crap in your garage that you can't move around. (laughs) Right? So David says, my soul is among lions. Do you recognize that the world is fighting for your soul? And if some of you lost your grip, This is a hard thing to preach to kids because they haven't lived enough life yet to really get it. What it's like to go through the ups and downs and the ins and outs and for one period to love God immensely and more than anything and then in another to just be asking like, is it really just a cult? Is it fake? What makes us different than anybody else? Hindus, Muslims.
David says, they themselves have fallen into the midst of their own nets, their own traps. Uh, he recognized them and stayed away from them, mostly. He'll have some trouble later on in his life. But he recognized. So he remembered who God was. He recognized the traps. And then the third part is the part that I love. Look what he says. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. And I get the sense, like often in the Psalms, that he's trying to speak into reality something that's not quite 100% yet. You know what I mean? He just got through two pretty dark negative paragraphs, but this is where, this is where he lands. My heart is steadfast. God, everything is trying to pull me away. There are lions trying to eat me, but my heart is steadfast. I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you, God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. Makes me think of what the disciples said. You know, Jesus is getting hit from uh, all angles, and there are a bunch of people who decided, no, this is weird. I'm out. Too hard. And Jesus looks at his disciples, and he's like, you guys going to leave too? And they go, where would we go? You have the words of life. My heart is steadfast, O oh God. My heart is steadfast. So after recognizing that it's, it's God who saves him, and it's God who accomplishes everything for him, he gets to that point where he has to recognize I'm, I'm putting what I got into this. I'm choosing to stay loyal to Christ. I'm choosing Yahweh. And then look, look where that goes. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. Awake my glory. Awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. That, that's just good Bible speak for I'm going to get obnoxious about this. We're going to crank this to 11. And this does a couple things. This actual verbalizing of God's greatness and wanting to tell the entire world that God is the one and that you are steadfast. My wife, who is a, a counselor and loves putting uh, very beautifully color-coordinated signs all over our house about being positive and speaking kind words and... Um, you know, it, we even have on our fridge uh, a thing that talks about the happy chemicals, okay, and what we can do. And they're in beautiful pastel green and pink. And But she knows the power of positive verbalizing, which really goes back to the fact that our words create. It's how God created the world. Our worlds also create worlds. And if you're one of those people that is a negative person, you know the damage that happens when you get stuck in the feedback loop of negative thinking. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And it does actually produce chemicals in your mind that make it hard to be happy or do right or, or love. And so when David verbalizes the praises of God, he's fighting that negative feedback loop. He is creating the good that does exist in God. God's love and, and steadfastness. 
But then the other thing it does, and this is a little tricky, is it forces God to show up. God wants all people to know that he is good and that he is God and that he is the creator of the universe and he is the one who rescues and saves. And when we shout that out to the nations, it's kind of like, okay, God, I told them you would show up. Now it's, now it's up to you. And he does. Maybe not in our timing. I'm sure that you know, the first or second time that Richard Wormbrand was in solitary confinement, he was like, okay, God, you can show your power now. You can get me out of here. But it's his timing. And in the end, I do believe that God will be glorified. And that every knee will bow. And we will all see the goodness and the patience and the grace of God. And of course, we have the benefit, which David did not, of knowing that Christ has come and raised from the dead, and it's in him that we hope. And I want to leave you with this, because uh, in the, at the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul is exhorting the people to stay close to Christ, and he ends with uh, an exposition on the resurrection Part of staying close to Christ is remembering and believing that Christ actually rose from the dead and that that is our hope too. Gets a little hard when we start talking about weird stuff like that, but the resurrection is critical. And so he says in verse 1, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which you also stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And he talks about the resurrection, and he ends with this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And that is my prayer for you, and it's my prayer for me. That we would be Richards and Sabinas, and regardless of who is opposing us, that we would stay close to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you so much for stories that people have uh, taken time to write down and preserve for us of those who are faithful to you. Richard and Sabina were uh, people just like us. They were born into sin, they had struggles, they had fears, and yet by relying on you and being fully committed to you, Lord, uh, they escaped the mouths of the lions. I pray that for us. I know that most of the time, God, we walk around just blind to the fact that the world is so adamantly opposed to us when we are in you. Uh, but. We recognize that we need you. Help us to remember you. Help us to recognize the, the traps that are set for us. And help us to radically praise you. Knowing that your love and truth are the reality uh, that we live in. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.